The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. This weekend, we are beginning a brand new series together, and for the next three weeks, we will be talking about the relationship that exists between God and our money. And I don't know if that idea sounds strange to you. I don't know if that sounds obvious to you. Um, I don't know if that idea causes you anxiety. Basically, I know something happens to you emotionally when you put those two words into the same sentence, right? I just don't know what exactly that experience is for you, but the truth is, how it is that we use and how it is that we handle our money actually says a lot about us as people. And in fact, you may know this if you've been a part of church for a while or grown up in church that Jesus, he actually said more about money than he did about heaven. 38 parables that Jesus told that we have in the scriptures, and out of those 38 parables, 16 of them have to do very specifically with the subject of money and possessions. And it's interesting that in all of that teaching that Jesus gives to us, not ever does Jesus ask anybody for any money, except for one time where he asks somebody to borrow a coin so that he can actually use it as an object lesson. Then he returns it back to them and gives it back when he's finished. So what was he up to? What in the world, why in the world would Jesus spend so much time talking about this one particular subject? What What was Jesus actually after? And see, when you read through the Gospels, what you discover is Jesus was up to something, and Jesus really was after something, but it wasn't anybody's money. And so what truth about money did Jesus want us to actually understand? Now today, as we begin this series together, we're going to take kind of a 30,000-foot view on this whole subject, and we're going to begin by asking a question. It's a fairly simple question. Um, It might be an obvious question to some of us, but the question is simply, how does God view money? And see, the truth is, I think for many of us, we don't even think to ask this question because it is so simple and it is so obvious, And, and yet consider this. If you were having trouble in your marriage, and so you wanted to talk to me about your marriage, right, before I sit down and talk with you and I hear your story, or I hear her story or his story, I would actually want to talk to you about how it is that God views marriage and what it is that God actually created marriage for and what it is that God wants marriage to do. Because whatever it is that we're going to talk about in terms of specifics, it's got to fall within the broader context of what it is that God actually created marriage for and what God says its purpose is. And so uh, we're going to do the same thing when it comes to the subject of money. And the truth is, whenever people are willing, honestly willing, to ask and answer the question, right, what does God think about whatever, right, whatever the subject may be, whenever we're actually willing to do that and to get God's perspective, right, that impacts our assumptions, it impacts our actions, it impacts our attitudes. When we see as God sees, right, the truth is, all of us, we are more inclined to do what God says. And so today, we're going to ask the question, how does God view my money? And see, if you're sitting there today and you're thinking that the, the, the punchline to that whole question is that he wants it, right, you can just relax, right, you just, everybody exhale, right, it's okay, because listen, if he wanted it, he would have already taken it, right? Your God is too small, if that's what you think. When the government wants more money, they just take it. You don't think God is bigger than the government? Right? If God wanted what you have, he would take it. Right? If he wanted your money, he would have already taken it. The truth that we're going to discover together today is way, way bigger than that. 
In fact, it's recorded for us in a parable that's found in the book of Luke. If you would take out your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 16. It's on page 1,625 in one of those Bibles in the seat back in front of you. Now, if you've been attending faith for any uh, period of time, then undoubtedly you've heard me say that Luke was a first century doctor. And what Luke did is he went out and he interviewed all of the eyewitnesses, all of the first person eyewitnesses to Jesus' life, his ministry, and his teaching. He took all of that information, he collected it, and he organized it into an orderly account. And so it's Luke who records a number of Jesus' parables, and it's Luke who records this fascinating, fascinating parable um, that, that he is going to answer this question for us today about how it is that God actually views our money. And so just one more thing before we jump into this together. If, you know, you're all anxious and nervous because it's like, oh no, the preacher's talking about money and that whole thing, okay, then listen, this is not a series. The next three weeks is not about what I want from you. That's not what we're going to be talking about. This is a series about what it is that I want for you. Because see, the truth is, there is incredible freedom that comes from actually doing and not just knowing. Actually doing and not simply hearing. Actually doing what God says about everything, right? That was the big takeaway from our last series together on the book of James. And the truth is, that includes, and that is absolutely true about how it is that we use and handle our money as well. And so in Luke chapter 16, Jesus begins to tell a story, not a true story, but a made-up story to communicate a very, very significant truth. Jesus starts in, Luke records for us, beginning of chapter 16, verse 1, Jesus told his disciples. And when Luke uses the word disciples, he's not talking about the 12 apostles. Luke wants us to know that this is actually a bigger group. These are all the people following Jesus from place to place, people who actually believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be. And so certainly that includes the 12 apostles, but Luke wants us to know that this is actually a bigger group than just just those 12. And so Luke tells us that Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. There was a rich man who had so much money that he couldn't manage it all, so he hired someone to manage his money for him who bought and who sold and who traded with his name. And this rich man, he got wind of the fact that his manager was doing deals that either weren't smart or were dishonest somehow, or for some reason they were making him nervous. And so he, the rich man, called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Right? Word is on the street that you're doing things that are not quite honest. You're doing things that are not quite right. You're, you're doing things with my money that does not represent me well, so give an account of your management. In other words, get all the books together, bring them in, because you cannot be manager any longer. And so the rich man, he fires this manager, and so the manager thinks to himself in verse 3, he says, oh no, okay, what, what do I do? Right? What, what now do I do? I wasn't expecting this. Right? I've been caught. What, what do I do now? What shall I do. My master is taking away my job, and I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg, so my opportunity is, is limited. And so suddenly, the, the, the man in this parable, the manager in this parable, he finds himself with a little bit of time and a little bit of opportunity to figure out where he's actually going to go and if there will be anyone to take him in. And so he comes up with an idea. And in verse 4 he says, I know. 
I know what I'll do. I know that what I'll do so that when, right, because this is all about time. When I lose my job here, because that is what's going to happen, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. And so the manager, he comes up with a plan so that when he's no longer employed by the rich guy, he will have some place to go and he will have someone to go to. And again, remember, this is Jesus who is telling this story. And so Jesus continues in verse 5. So he, the, the manager, called in each one of his master's debtors. He calls in all the people who owe his master something. And he asked the first one, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill and sit down quickly before anyone sees before anybody notices. Sit down quickly because, listen, I don't have much time. Sit down quickly because I need to take good advantage of my limited time to make sure that I have some place to go and someone to go to. Sit down quickly and make it 400. Just 400? Yeah. Just make it 400. Let's just get this wrapped up right away. Let's just finish this today. Are, are you sure? Yeah, come on. Just make it 400. Thank you. Thank you. That's incredible. Thank you. Listen, if you ever need anything, just call me. I will. <laughs> Maybe sooner than you think. Verse 7. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. Just 800? Yeah, just make it 800. Come on, let's just wrap this up today and be done with this. Well, well, thank you. That's amazing. I can't believe that you would do that. Listen, if you ever need anything, just you know where to find me. Just call me. And see, the implication of this is that this manager, he did this over and over and over again with everybody who owed something to his master, right? And it's bargain day. I mean, these are fire sales. This guy is giving these people the, the deal of a lifetime. He's got the authority to do that. He's still got a little bit of time, and he's got a little bit of opportunity. Now, at this point in the story, everybody in Jesus' audience is beginning to think what many of us are thinking, which is that whatever the word is on the street about this guy, I mean, it's no wonder that the, the rich man had to let him go because the manager, I mean, he is stealing his boss blind, right? I mean, he is ripping this guy off big time. And when the master finds out what he's done, I mean, he's toast. I mean, he'll be lucky if the only thing he has to deal with is jail. I mean, he could be executed for what he's doing. And see, and if this is the first time that you're actually hearing the parable, then chances are you're thinking many of those same things. And see, the reason you're thinking those same things is because Jesus is, in fact, the master storyteller. And Jesus knew how to get his first century audience and his 21st century audience to lean in and to be just curious enough and just confused enough to ask the question of what in the world is the point of this fictitious story? Because in every single story that Jesus told, there's always someone who represents God, and there's always someone who represents you. There's someone who represents me. 
And the people in Jesus' first century audience, they assumed that the, the dishonest money manager is about to get into serious, serious trouble. But see, they would be wrong. And if that's where you assumed that this story was going, as that's where I assumed that this story was going, the very first time I read this parable, then we would be wrong as well. Because it's in verse 8 that we read, Jesus said, the master commended. That is, he smiled at. He high-fived, right? He complimented the dishonest money manager because he had acted shrewdly. He commended the guy in the parable because he thought it through. He thought it through with the future in mind. He thought it through with his limited opportunity in mind. He thought it through with his own future in mind. And see, it's at this point in the parable that everybody in Jesus' audience is completely confused because it's like, okay, wait a minute, Jesus, which one of these is me? And Jesus, which one are you saying is God? And Jesus, what's really the point of this story? And so Jesus has them right where he wants them. He has us right where he wants us. And so Jesus stops the parable and he begins to teach the lesson that he wants his audience to learn, which is that in the kingdom of heaven, the way that God views money is different. It's just fundamentally different than the way that we view it. For, Jesus says, for the people of this world, right? The people who live as if all there is to this life is this life. The people who think all there is, is all they see. For the people of this world, they are more shrewd. In other words, they think things through better. They are more thoughtful in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. In other words, Jesus is saying that the people who actually have the covenants, the people who have the promises of God, the people who understand about the, the broader context of eternity, that everybody lives forever somewhere. Jesus says sometimes those people, the people of the light, Jesus says, sometimes they are not as thoughtful and they do not think things through as well as the people who just assume that all there is to this life is this life. And see, Jesus' point, right? Jesus' point is that the reason this guy is commended, it's not because he was dishonest. No, he is commended because he took full advantage of his limited time and his limited opportunity. And Jesus' point for you and his point for me is simply this, right? That we are to do the exact same thing that we are to take full advantage of our limited time and our limited opportunity, that when it comes to our money, when it comes to our income, when it comes to our wealth, we are to view it and use it in such a way that we think about not just simply this life, but actually the broader context of eternity. And we are to ask the question, how can I actually get the maximum use out of what it is that I have in light of my limited time on this planet and whatever kind of opportunity is going to come my way? And to make sure that we don't miss it, Jesus leans in real close, and in the next verse, he gives to us a command. And what Jesus says next in the beginning of verse 9, I have to be honest with you, for years I read this verse and I did not understand what it was that Jesus was trying to to communicate. 
But once I finally understood the implications of this verse, it forever changed the way that I personally, the way that my family, the way that we view and use and handle the money that comes our way. Because in verse 9, Jesus gives a command. And again, understand, the only people that Jesus gives commands to are people who already are followers of Jesus. Luke just told us that in verse 1. And so if you're here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, then this does not apply to you, right? Please do not hear me telling you what you have to do. Now, there's some application for you, so you might want to just kind of hang on. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, Jesus leans in real close, and in verse 9, he says this. He says, I tell you. In other words, this is a command, right? I tell you, this isn't a story anymore. I tell you, he says, use. Why? Because it's a tool. Because it's a tool. Use worldly wealth, to which we think, okay, wait a minute, Jesus. What worldly wealth? What other kind of wealth is there? To which Jesus says, well, that's, that's a good question. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, like the money manager, so that when it is gone, because it will be gone, in fact, when it will be gone, you will be gone, when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And see, the implications of this verse, they are actually huge and they are unmissable because Jesus is telling us as his followers that there is actually something that we can do with our temporary wealth during this tiny slot of time, whatever amount of time that is that we each have in this life that will in fact make an eternal difference. That for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we need to figure out how to use our temporary right now resources in such a way that when you die and you move on to what's next, into eternity, into heaven, that there will actually be people there in heaven waiting to welcome you because you used your temporary worldly wealth in such a way that they could be introduced to their heavenly father and so that they would learn that they too have a place with him in heaven for eternity. Jesus says, I want you to figure out how to go and do that. That way, when you actually get to heaven someday, right, somebody's going to walk up to you in heaven and say, hey, hey, Joe, I'm Steve. Good to meet you, Steve. Do I, do I know you? No, nope, you don't know me. But see, listen, I'm actually here because of you. Steve, I've never met you before. I, well, what are you talking about? Well, Joe, remember that small group that you used to have in your home? Well, sure, I guess. I mean, I had a lot of small groups. Well, see, my grandparents, my grandparents were actually a part of that small group. And my grandparents always said that small group was the place where they actually understood who Jesus really is for the very first time. And, and you don't understand, that changed the course of their lives. In fact, that changed the course of, of our family because my parents, they actually raised me to believe that Jesus is my Savior. And so now I'm here, maybe a little bit sooner than others, but I'm here. I, I, I'm here because because of your living room, because of the small group that you hosted in your temporary living room. That's why I'm here. That's amazing, Steve. Are you serious? Yeah. That is the implication. That is what Jesus, the implication, that is what Jesus is telling us in this one verse. And he teaches this all throughout the Gospels. And see, listen, I get it. Right, I get it. You might be tempted just like I might be tempted to dismiss this whole idea because at some level it's a little bit hard to even wrap your mind around. 
And, and if that's where you're at, I get it. I understand it, except for one thing, that after Jesus was crucified, he actually came back to life. And if that does not make him the authority when it comes to the subject of eternal dwellings, then I don't know what else does. And again, right, again, his point is clear. Your money and your possessions, my money and my possessions, they are a means, right? They are not an end. In fact, they are a means that goes beyond our end. And Jesus says, you want to understand, you want to know the truth about how it is that God views money? He sees it as a tool. He sees it as a tool. So here is the command. Use worldly temporary wealth, right? Leverage it because you've got a little bit of time and you've got a little bit of opportunity. Use your stuff in such a way so that the Father can actually use it to move people into his kingdom because when you do this, your temporary stuff has an eternal impact. And listen, the truth is, every single one of us, we have all had conversations about money in our homes. The truth is, if we're honest, most of the time, probably those conversations end up being awkward, they end up being anxiety-provoking, they end up being fear-provoking, and they end up probably, for a lot of us, in a lot of fights. Right? But think about this conversation. This is an awesome conversation. How can we figure out how we can use more of our stuff in such a way that our stuff could actually have a kingdom impact? Right? See, the truth is, that is an amazing conversation. In fact, I've seen that conversation. I've seen the result of that conversation for years. The reason why our church is where it is, the reason we can do the kind of ministry that we can do, is because there is a group of people who have been around this place for years who understand what it is that Jesus is explaining to us in this parable. In fact, there's a group of men and women in this place, and if I told you their names, they'd be mad at me right now, but they have for years used their temporary stuff to make sure that all of our kids' rooms, our preschool rooms, our student rooms, our VBS rooms, that all of them are amazing places for kids to be and learn every single week when they come into this building. And you might walk by these rooms on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or during vacation Bible school and think to yourself, okay, well, it's just all about the fun. But listen, for many... Right? For many, it is fun that actually breaks down walls and allows us to begin conversations uh, uh, with kids about Jesus. And the truth is, that doesn't just apply to kids. Because I could also tell you a story about a man who understood both of these principles, and so he found a way to leverage some empty space he had in a building that he owns to provide a place for men to get together where they could actually talk about how to be better men, better fathers, and better husbands. I could tell you about a group of women in this place who week in and week out use a room filled with sewing machines to create an environment where other women who have been through unimaginable loss and terror in their lives can actually come together, be safe, be connected to each other, and hear about Jesus. And see, I could go on and on and on with the examples. And see, for some of you, you understand this. And yet the truth is, for others of you, this is brand new. This is brand new, either because you're brand new, or if you're honest, you've just never thought about this before. And see, as a follower of Jesus, Jesus commands us as his followers not to just get caught up in that never-ending cycle of consuming and acquiring, consuming and acquiring, consuming and acquiring. He says, no, the truth is, you need to see and understand that your stuff 
is a tool. It's a tool, so use it. In fact, again, this is what many of you understood, but this is what I want all of you to be able to experience someday, which is the fact that there is actually an infusion of joy Right? When you learn how to use your temporary stuff in a way as a tool that your Heavenly Father can use to make a kingdom impact in the lives of people for eternity. Right? Jesus says, you want to know how God views money? He sees it as a tool to impact people for eternity. Not because you told them about Jesus necessarily, but because you use the stuff that you had wisely, shrewdly, and thoughtfully. And when that happens, when that happens, you will experience joy. Because what we all know is there is no joy in simply accumulating. Right? There isn't even any lasting joy when it comes to collecting. Now, Jesus is almost done. We're in verse 10, and so that means that we're almost done. And so Jesus, in verse 10, says this. He says, whoever... Right, whoever, so that would be all of us. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly riches, who will trust you with true riches? And it's like, okay, wait a minute, Jesus, what do you, t- little, much, Worldly riches thing again, Jesus, what other kind of riches are there other than than worldly riches? I don't understand what you're talking about, Jesus. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Jesus, I don't understand what you're saying here. I mean, somebody else's property? Jesus, this is my paycheck. Right, Jesus, I actually have the deed to this house. I have the title to the car. Jesus, what, what do you mean somebody else's property? It's like, Jesus, it feels like you're telling me that, that like somebody is watching. Like this is some kind of a, a test or something to see how I handle my stuff. Well, yeah. God says, Jesus says, that's exactly That's exactly how God sees our stuff. It's a tool. And God is looking for people who are trustworthy. Trustworthy with their little. Trustworthy with their temporary. Trustworthy with what's not even their own. And see, this is actually amazing and brilliant because what Jesus does here is he puts all of us into the same category. He says, you're all in the same category. You all have, every single one of you, you all have just a little bit to which when we think, and when we hear that, we think to ourselves, okay, Jesus, you're right. I have a little bit, but see, you don't understand, Jesus, because I know this guy and my house, it would fit in his garage. That guy doesn't have just a little bit. Like my whole house, it would fit in his garage. He has a lot. And Jesus says, well, compared to who? Well, I mean, compared to me. But I guess not compared to you. And see, everyone's little bit, God says, everyone has a little bit, everyone's little bit is temporary, and everyone's temporary little bit, it isn't even their own. They leave it here for someone else. They're just borrowing it as they walk around here on earth. In fact, the way that you know you're not an owner is because if you're going to leave it behind for somebody else, then clearly, 
right? Clearly, you don't own it. Clearly, you are managing it. So really, the real question is, the big question is, who are you managing it for, right? Because if we're all just star stuff, right, if we're nothing more than just, you know, an accident of evolution through natural selection, Right, if, if we're just here and you don't know why you happened or how you happened that you just happened to happen, right? then the truth is I don't know how to help you answer this question of who are you managing it for. But consider this. If in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, if in the beginning God created humanity in his image, if in the beginning we were actually created to be the stewards of this planet, and if God actually did give to us his son so that we could know what God is really like, see, then all of a sudden this begins to make perfect sense, doesn't it? Because of course, right, of course Jesus would want us to manage it well. Not because your eternity depends on it, but because somebody else's does. And so as we wrap this up together today, I want to leave you with one question. In fact, this is the question that we'll pick up together with next week. Where do we start with all this? I mean, where do we actually start? I mean, how do we, how do we move forward with a subject like this? And see, for some of you, right, for some of you, this is how you've thought about money, this is how you've thought about wealth for years and years and years. And so for those of you, this is a reminder, but don't miss this. This parable is also a reminder that someday in heaven, you will meet face-to-face people's, people whose eternity you've impacted and you had no clue. You had no clue what it is that God was doing through you. And that will be true for you someday. For the others of us, this is brand new. Right, either because you're brand new to being a part of a church or because you're brand new to the idea of not just simply attending church but actually following Jesus. Or this is brand new to you because if you're honest, right, you're a follower of Jesus, but this has always been the kind of thing your parents worry about or your mom and dad think about. But now all of a sudden you, it's dawned on you, oh, I'm a real adult, I have to think about this too. Right? So this is brand new for a lot of us. And still, for others of you, probably you're a little bit skeptical because you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, no, Jesus just wants our money. That's what this whole thing is all about. That's it, right? Now, if that's you, listen, no, he doesn't. He never asked anybody for any money. In fact, it's Jesus who at the cross said, listen, I love you so much. I'm going to give you something whether or not you give anything to me. I'm going to give you something even if you never give anything to me. Because, see, Jesus, he wants us to understand that our money, our money is actually a tool. So use it. Use it. And when you answer that big question of who are you managing it for, right, something begins to happen in your heart. But listen, until you answer that big question, right, the truth is you could just end up living for yourself, and that would be a shame. That would be a shame because yourself and myself is far too small of a thing to actually live a lifetime for. And so Jesus wants us, he wants you, he wants each of you to actually experience peace and joy and freedom. And see, Jesus is inviting us into this because, listen, Jesus is telling us, he's telling us more money will not bring you any of those things. But how you use it, 
that will. Let me pray for you today. Heavenly Father, it is so easy for all of us to sit through a conversation like this and to feel all kinds of emotions. And Father, if we're honest, it is very easy to let our money manage us as opposed to us thinking about and using our money as a tool and a tool with a very specific eternal purpose. And so, Father, I pray that as we begin this series and this conversation together as your church, Father, I ask that you help us to remember what it is that you've blessed us with, not and that all these things that you've given to us, all these blessings that we have and that we experience each day, whether they be financial or otherwise, Father, that these things are not for our glory, they're actually for your glory. And so help us to be wise. Help us to see how we can actually invest in the lives of other people, the people of this world, the people who do not know your son as their savior. And Father, I pray that for all of us, that we would always be a church that would welcome and continue to help welcome and to seek after those people who do not know you as their Savior, that we could introduce them to Jesus. Father, that you could give them the gift of faith, that you could change their hearts, that one day that they too would call Jesus their Lord and their Savior. And Father, I pray for all of us that as we prepare to receive communion, as we prepare to receive the body and the blood, the bread and the wine, Father, I pray that as we speak to you, as we confess our sins to you personally and silently, that you would speak to us as well, that you would remind us that we are loved, that we are chosen, and that we are forgiven by you. The good news of the gospel is that when your Savior Jesus found his time on this planet limited, that he did not give less, he gave everything, that he gave his life so that you would have life. He gave his life so that you would be forgiven, and he gave his life so that you could truly know that you are loved that you have a heavenly father, that you have a place for eternity. And so your sins, they are truly forgiven in Jesus' name. Amen.